fantasy and some flights. Exploring the realms of beer, board games, books, and bourbon. Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy and Some Flights podcast. I'm Nelson. I'm Dalton. And tonight we're talking about a game that since the podcast has started, we've kind of fallen down this rabbit hole a little bit more and that's economic games so we're kind of doing a whole episode around economic games what they are and some of our recommendations so yeah i'm excited because these these are this is the type of game that i have found that i have i enjoy a lot more than i thought i would when i first started playing them so i'm excited to kind of talk to them about about them with you and, sure. and see where the conversation goes yeah and we also haven't really done like a uh like a genre, you know, in a little while, like a, like a yeah, we really mechanics have analysis in a little while to do our like low, medium, high complexity recommendations and all that. So we're going to get into that too. Um, we're going to talk about mech ratings again, you know, it's been like <laughs> we talked about <laughs> it's mech been ratings a while. In a long t- I know it's, it's been on the back burner, but we've had other stuff to cover. Oh yeah. But I also, um, I'm going to actually just go ahead and move us into uh, the flights section because I'm super excited about what I'm drinking tonight. So do you mind if I go first? <laughs> no, I'd rather go first. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> no! I'm just kidding. Go for it. What are, what, what are you drinking? I've been building up to this all week. <laughs> um, okay, so I am drinking Legion bourbon, um, and so I picked this up just at the store, just kind of walking around, and I picked it up because it has two. It's a collaboration um, between Fred No from uh, Jim Bean, like the master stiller of Jim Bean, and Shinji Fukuyo from Centauri Whiskey. Um, so he's like I remember the bigger, yeah, or he's Centauri, like the yeah. Big, big names in Japanese whiskey. And so even on the top, like the cork itself says Kentucky and Japan, which I think is kind of cool. But basically it's like barrels that have been created by Jim Bean so that they are bourbon, um, but then they're blended by um, Shinji Fukuyo. Oh, that's interesting. That's like the best of both worlds right there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like all the ingredients and the flavors of bourbon with like the Japanese, like attention to detail and all of that. Um, and then they finish it actually for three years so it's like generally like i think around like five or six year bourbons that they're then like finishing for an additional three years which is pretty rare for bourbons because like we've talked about you can't you can't count those three years towards an age statement and so um they actually just don't have an age statement on it it's it says that it's straight bourbon so we know it's at least um four years because it doesn't have the age statement but anyways it is I was extremely pleased to find this one. I found it for around $35. I've seen it online and people have been kind of seeking after it. And so if you like order it online, it can be actually like a lot more expensive, like 55 or 60. Um, if you're just like ordering it from like off the internet, but I think it more like MSRP is around that 35 to $40 range. And so if you find it in that range, um, I think it's definitely worth it. I think I would probably pay like 50 or 55 for this bourbon. It has like this really good, it has this really good profile throughout of being like balanced between sweetness and like some sort of like balancing flavor. So like the nose is kind of like a molasses and like, like green, like I would think of like green grapes or like champagne or um, like cut grass type of smells. Oh, Um, okay. Yeah. The body of it is actually like very, it's like middle of the road bourbon just done really well. So it has like these really nice, like brown sugar kind of allspice type of flavors going on. Um, And then the finish is like a dry wood smoke and like caramel again, very like, typical bourbon flavors um, but honestly like i said it's just like it's delicious and with these like two big good. names on it i think i expected to pay like a lot more um so this is absolutely a four cheers for me oh nice one good. of like my happiest finds um, and i was actually it's so much a four <laughs> cheers i was considering going back and getting another bottle because the store i go to kind of cha- has a lot of changeover which is nice for me yeah, um, yeah but again yeah. this one could be kind of hard to find and if it's like 35 it's like well i really want it at that price point i might go pick up another <laughs> bottle what was the name of that one 
No, you're fine. It's Legion. Um, so it looks like legend, but with a T at the end. Okay. Instead of a D. So so that's interesting. I, I hear you describing a lot of different flavors. And one of the things mm-hmm. that I remember about the Centauri whiskey is that they kind of picked one flavor and did that really well. So does that kind of come across or are you getting so many more flavors from the barrel that's, you know, bought or barreled with Jim Beam? And that's what's mm-hmm. creating the, the more complex flavor profile or and or, or, or how, how does just that work? Like, are you getting more Jim Beam or are you getting more Centauri? Again, it's not a blending of like Jim Bean and Centauri whiskeys. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's not, um, you're right, like the Centauri whiskeys are going to taste like very different. I think that this is like a very delicately balanced bourbon. So it's taking kind of that like technique and expertise cool. okay. from, from Japanese detailed, you know, execution into the bourbon flavor profiles, which are like these huge, heavy hitting, like really powerful um, and can be overpowering flavors, right? Um, I think that it has something like a year in red wine finishing casks and then two years in sherry. Um, oh, okay. And, and so like that is kind of what's leading it through like all of these, like it has again, the kind of those like wine flavors in the nose up front. It has these kind of like smoother, sweeter, almost even a couple fruity flavors that I didn't mention in like the finish, which is like typical of like a sherry finish. And so like I, when I talk about it being worth more, I'm, ta- I'm mentioning that because of this, extra complexity that's going on it's kind of leading you through these different flavor profiles and that's more typical for something that is first off higher proof t- like than this one is this is a this is a 47 percent um so a 94 oh, wow. proof. yeah um and so you know when you get to like uh barrels you know cask strength um those will typically have very complex flavor, flavor profiles because it's all condensed down right um, but this one's like not not quite so alcoholic and so it's really surprising that it has so much complexity to it um and then again just at the price point you would expect it to be a little bit more narrow-minded i guess and it's, it's <laughs> yeah. really well developed 35 is super affordable yeah it's five dollars more than elijah craig and like i you know what i mean so i expect that level of quality and we talk about how elijah craig is really good at 30 dollars. yes um, and i think for the extra five this like way outshines it so it's definitely worth it if you can find it be careful talking about our sponsor like that I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no that sounds like a great find i'm glad that you were able to pick that up i'll, I'll take a look for, sure. for it because it sounds almost, it sounds amazing. Like I, I, I really enjoyed the Centauri, but I don't necessarily know if I would want to buy a full bottle for myself. And so, yeah. like this sounds kind of like a nice middle ground, cheaper version of that. That mm-hmm. that would be good. So yeah, cool. Uh, I think the Centauri bottle itself is going to be around the same price point. Oh, okay. For some reason, I was thinking it was way more expensive. No, so it's probably that, like that is good thirty-five to, to forty. Okay. Yeah. For some reason, I think it was sixty-five to seventy. So. Oh, that, yeah, not, that's, not that much. That's you, great to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so that one you can also get for yourself if you want to. But yeah, a real, uh, a real success for me, so I was, I was excited to share it on the podcast. Awesome, so. yeah, so I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad to hear that. For sure. What are you drinking tonight? So I, I am drinking a whiskey from Hotel Tango, which is a distillery here in Indianapolis that is founded by a couple of veterans. This is the straight rye whiskey from Hotel Tango. So there was a promotion at the liquor store. I went down to the liquor store to shop around to find something and they had one of their salespeople there trialing or like giving out tastings and free swag and everything and so after i had tasted a couple of theirs and taken all of their swag i felt like i should probably <laughs> buy something from them but now i have like, <laughs> but now i have like sunglasses a koozie and so like you know a coaster to keep your whiskey cold <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it was i think it was the koozie says something on it like uh my other drink is a hotel tango whiskey oh, or that's something like fun. that <laughs> yeah, yeah so i like that 
I tried a couple of them. This one was my favorite. I, I, I think anyone who's listened to any previous episodes knows that I'm fairly partial to rye. But I, I was trying not to buy a rye, but everything else that I kind of tasted, I didn't really like. So yep. there was there was that. So yep. I, I ended up just buying the straight rye, which is aged for two years. It's it's a newer distillery. I think it was founded in 2012 or something. So okay, uh, the, and kind of like what you were talking about on a previous episode, ryes are typically aged for a little bit less time because they're kind of making mm-hmm. this comeback. So yeah. Although I I was at the liquor store the other day and I saw a rye aged for I think it was 12 or 13 years. Wow. It's like okay, wow. I mean I I was never going to spend the three digits for it, but right. <laughs> <laughs> I was about um, to say you usually have to pay for that, so. Yeah. This is I think the one of the more interesting bourbon or not bourbons. This is one of the more interesting whiskeys that I've had on the podcast in the sense of it's very average. Like I want to give this a two point five cheers. Like I mean, it okay. feels very just like, just okay, cool. That's a whiskey, right? Yeah. The the nose is actually pretty harsh. So like when okay. when you you smell it, it's like oh this is gonna be tough. But whenever you drink it, it's actually fairly smooth. It ha- it's a mm-hmm. little bit. It has some sweetness to counteract that spiciness, and it, it's it's much smoother. I, I'm not watering it down. I'm drinking it straight. But it's also like. Okay, like when when you drink it, there's like there's no lasting flavors. It just kind of feels very like meh, like cool. Gotcha. I I had it, and so it's uh-huh. it's falling in that realm of a two. It's like I don't know if I would ever buy it again. Three. It's like this is actually pretty nice to have after you've mm. drink drank some of your more interesting whiskeys <laughs> throughout the night, and you're just like okay, like maybe this is the Elijah Craig like substitute that you want to do every couple of times. But even then, I think there are better options to choose if you're not going to go with like an Elijah Craig or something like that. So I'm I'm, I'm glad I bought it. I'm glad I tasted it. I'm probably not going to grab another one. My favorite part about Hotel Tango is kind of the marketing that goes into Mm -hmm. it because they're pretty like cheeky with everything. And so like the, the koozie, that I was describing, you know, they have like printed on the bottle. It's like, you know, this side up, to pour and like has an arrow <laughs> and stuff but then like the tagline that i really like it says it is to be served and consumed in pursuance of elevated company morale so <laughs> I ho- I <laughs> so i hope i am elevated company morale for you tonight here on this episode <laughs> <laughs> it elevated my morale just to hear you talk about it, <laughs> well i'm glad you brought up in there again the the young distillery thing and and it can be I think you take a, a little bit of an inherent risk purchasing from a younger distillery, right? Because they have to move money, you know? And so they yep. they they have to start showing returns after a couple of years. They can't just like wait around for things to age like seven or eight years. Or they have to like purchase things that uh, right. like, like barrel bourbon is fairly young, but they're not doing their own distilling, right? They're purchasing, right. they're going around tasting barrels, finding ones they like, and then mixing them. Um, and blending them together. And so you just have to go in knowing that like that's what you're getting, but they do a really good job of it and it tastes really good. And so they're like successful. Yeah. But a lot of times they're just buying, a younger distillery is just buying like a, you know, a mass produced like MGP um, type whiskey just to get them off the ground. And they're just kind of slapping their name on it. And so it can just be really hard to like know when you're in a liquor store, like, okay, I can see that this is a relatively, you know, reading their story or whatever. I can see it's a young one. Is it worth the risk or not? Right. It can be. It can make yeah. good stuff. But Yep. But yeah, so hopefully the continued uh, elevated company kind of 
propagates throughout the rest of the episode. <laughs> but let's go ahead exactly. and move ourselves into the table. So we've kind of been talking about what we've been playing recently. Dalton, I want you to start us off. Tell me what you've been playing. We recently organized a play of 18 Chesapeake through the Discord. Um, you don't have to rub this. it in. I know. I'm sorry. So Nelson <laughs> got kicked out. Nelson, based on scheduling, Nelson got booted, which is extremely yes, sad. It, I, I, I want to reiterate that it was based on scheduling and not my attitude or anything like that. It, it was a scheduling conflict, and I didn't get kicked out because I was being rude. Um, <laughs> that's true <laughs> we were like all right you know what you're done <laughs> you're benched Nelson's voted off the island exactly. get him out <laughs> extinguish his torch <laughs> <laughs> the tribe has spoken womp 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 no it wasn't that um it was a scheduling issue but anyway we did play with four people um i think four was a really good number um we had played you and i had played with three no wait we did play with four before i think so yeah, I'll, I'll, i've only ever played with four so maybe i shouldn't say it's a good number as if i played other things but like it's a you know there's enough where uh enough companies are getting floated but not like all of the companies are getting floated you know and you you kind of feel like you can have control of one or two companies at a time it just kind of feels like a like a good number like maybe kind of what the game was meant to do and so we were, we were happy with that. We did play through um, 18xx.games, um, the website. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard mixed things. I've heard it's, like, good if you don't mm-hmm. care about components at all. <laughs> is, that, is that kind of what you found? <laughs> I mean, we've kind of made this joke before, but it is already an 18xx game, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's you right. already don't care about components. Um, it's not like playing on tabletop simulators significantly increasing your components. Yes. But yeah, we as a group, we really thoroughly enjoyed um, the website. I only have good things to say about it. Um, I would highly recommend using that instead of Tabletop Simulator. We played with two new players, um, so two players who did not know the game at all, and it did a really good job of putting the information in front of you for any decision that you need to make. Um, it gives you the information in front of you to make that decision. I mean, it has kind of like backup tabs on the website, so you can kind of click through if you are if it's not your turn and you want to look at specific information. Um, and they're set up in a way I think that's really smart, where it it just kind of feels like without being named explicitly that it's set up to, Oh, you're trying to make this type of decision. Well, here's all the information you would need to make. It's on this tab, the market tab, right? Or it's, on, Oh, that's really cool. You know I like what I mean? That. So, yeah. So when you're like thinking about, okay, do I need to uh, retain money this round? Because there are other companies I need to buy stock into in the next round. I need to retain money so that I have money to buy stock in the next round. And you can go to the market tab. You can see what's available, what things are, how close things are to being floated, where the market, their prices are is there anything still left in the initial offering you know it just like it, it was really natural to play through i mean it almost seems like that would be more friendly for new players than the physical board because it kind of helps summarize some data helps you make those decisions because like when you're looking at a board of an 18xx game i feel like there's just so much to take in so much to balance so many things to yeah. do in your mind that it almost sounds like this makes it more friendly for any player, but especially new players, help help them categorize that information and make those decisions. Yeah, I think it definitely is like boiling the information down to what you need to know. And so it's helping kind of like, it's almost like putting blinders on you. You know, it's filtering out all the static right, that you don't, yeah, yeah. you don't need to pay attention to right now. I think the good thing was that our new players were very open-minded. They interfaced with that very well. Um, there could be people who were just very rooted in, it's a board game, I need to hold components in my hand. Yeah. And tabletop simulator gives you the feeling of doing that you know even though you're not physically but like it just feels like it gives you that little bit of freedom um that you're like kind of interacting with things um and moving things around and it helps you maybe kind of track the interactions more directly because you're like you're the one who's doing things and so that helps you like kind of 
understand the game a little bit better and kind of wrap your head yeah. around it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, 18xx is such a game of decision making of like, where do you put this thing? What stock do you buy right now? That like the information being presented to you in that way, I think was pretty successful. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, we're really looking forward to trying kind of an asynchronous play and looking to organize that through the Discord because the website will support that. Um, so our play took us probably right around three hours if you subtract out like uh, some rules explanation and, and stuff and some that, figuring out of the interface. Yeah, that's shorter than a physical play. Yeah, that's definitely shorter than the physical play we did. And I think we've talked about on the virtual episode that usually the virtual games will add time a, yeah. a lot of the time. And so yeah. it's good to feel like this is akin to through the ages where it makes it so much easier, puts that information in front of you, kind of does everything, all the monotonous, like tedious moving of pieces mm -hmm. around so that it feels like it cuts time off. So that that's that's amazing. I was really afraid yeah, that instead sure. of a four or five hour game, it was going to be an eight, nine hour game online. Yeah. So I'm really glad to hear that it cuts it down. I think if we had done Tabletop Simulator, I'm worried that it probably would have been. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. I think that it length. would have been. Since, we would have, since none of it's automated, we're kind of doing everything ourselves. I do think that, so for us, it didn't auto-calculate. So again, in 18 Chesapeake, there you kind of like set up your trains and you can run different routes. Um, and as the game progresses, that it sort of becomes the mailman problem of like, what's the most efficient route for me to run? And like, right, how can I yeah. get the most money? Um, and so what it was doing is it was saving whatever route you ran previously. And so it would know like, oh, I click on these cities. That This is how much money you get. And then in the next round, it would just show you that again. Like, do you want to just rerun this route? And if your trains didn't change and nothing really about the board state is very different, then yeah, you can just click it and it just reran it for you. And that that did save some time. I think that there is an option to have it auto-calculate what's the best route for you. I think I just had to enable that when I created the lobby. Gotcha. But it was not on for us, and so that did slow us down a little bit. If I'm understanding, again, if I'm understanding the settings correctly now that I know the website interface a little bit better, if I have kind of that box checked, it'll, it'll do that for us. That would honestly probably shave off another 30, 45 minutes from the playtime. Um, yeah, because clicking I, on the boxes to try and figure out what is yeah. how much money can I get right now, that is a huge part of the game in terms of time. Right, and I, I don't necessarily think that that takes away from any of the strategic information like sure. I, if i look at this board long enough i will find it so why not just automate that process right yeah. so i i think i would be 100 percent in favor of turning that option on and being okay with that yeah right yeah for sure yeah i agree it lets you kind of focus in on what you want to be doing right which is you want to be playing the stock market you want to be making the decisions around am i going to retain money or or um, pay dividends and you know like what am i like those are the fun and interesting decisions counting money based on the tracks, that's not a fun and interesting decision. I would, I would love to just offload that to a computer. And so it's very topical for tonight, right? 18xx, extremely, like, it is absolutely <laughs> right, yeah. an economy game. Um, if, I, if we just even, as we're talking about it, we're already talking about markets and stocks and money, right? And, right, okay, yeah. those are three really good indicators we're talking about in an economy game. Um, so definitely topical for the night. There may be some things that we kind of bring up again. Um, I wanted to set the tone a little bit for the for the topic tonight um, with this one, but, and, and, and also just to say that for, that we did really enjoy our play. We'll probably be doing more of it. We'll probably do some asynchronous. And so if any of that is interesting to you, um, as always, check out the Discord to get involved in that because we're, we're, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I definitely will do that. Maybe I'll get to play this next time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll see if you're good. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. But yeah. yeah. So what about you? What have you what's been on your table? So I, I've actually been not playing a lot of different games recently i've been fairly busy just kind of with life but what i have been doing is i've been playing a lot more summoner wars 2.0 so i think we've talked about summoner wars on on mm -hmm. the podcast before and plat hat games just recently 
I, I don't think liberated themselves from Asmodee is the correct term, but they, <laughs> they broke away. <laughs> they, they bought themselves back from Viva Asmodee. Viva la revolution. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but so they're, they're their own entity again. And Summoner Wars was the first game that Plat Hat Games ever put out. And kind of, I don't know if it's the first game that they were putting out after kind of the break from Asmodee, but it, it's one of the first games that they're kind of putting back out, kind of a revised version. Yeah. And this is very, I say revised version. This is very much a 2.0, not a revised version. It is okay. very different. Like all of the units have way more health. It, it, it's just a lot more uh, swingy, higher attack values. So let, let me just give a elevator pitch of Summoner Wars real quick. So Summoner Wars is kind of like a tactical card game. So the idea is to take like a minis game, like a... a like a Warhammer Heroescape uh-huh. type thing and boil it down to a deck of cards and a 2D map. Mm-hmm. And so one of the biggest uh, barriers to entry for some of these minis games is the cost, right? You can mm-hmm. pay yep. five, $600 for an army to play. And mm-hmm. while that's super awesome, really cool, it's also very prohibitive to a lot of players. Yeah, and so sure. what, what Plaid Hat wanted to do was to boil this down into an affordable, it's a $60 box, you get six factions and you can play, right? And so for each one of these factions, you have a summoner The and the object of the game, it's a two-player game. The object of the game is to kill the other player's summoner and that is it. Mm-hmm. You summon units onto the field, you can move three units, two spaces, and then you can attack with three units. And that's pretty much the rules of the game. Like, it is pretty simple. Where the complexity comes in is that each unit has a unique ability. So your summoners have special abilities, all your commons or your champion units have special abilities, which really kind of dictate the, the game. And so 2.0 came out, and it has some revamps of a lot of the one E factions, but, but it's, you know, higher, higher attack, higher health, more dice. It's, it's less random than one E in the sense of like you hit more often. So in, in one E you would hit on, you would roll a six sided dice and you would hit on a uh, three to six. Yeah. One of my favorite changes in two E is that for melee attacks, you hit on five out of six of the sides of the die. And then for ranged attacks, it's four out of six. So it changed that up a little bit. And then there's also like special symbols. So there are a lot of cards or a lot of units now that say like, if you roll this like lightning bolt special symbol, you get to activate a special ability. And so I think that's on like two or three of the sides of the dice. And so like all the changes I have really enjoyed, what I have not really enjoyed is having to learn all of the new factions. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just because like, I know all of the factions in, in the first edition by heart. And so to kind of combat that, what I've done is I've joined actually a tournament league, which probably is not the best thing for a new player <laughs> to do, <laughs> but I did it. Nice. But what I like about this league, which is you can find on sw-zone.com, is that they pair you up with one other player a week, and they give you two factions. So you're going to play, this last week was the Phoenix Elves versus the Vanguards, and you play two games with that player, and you swap factions. So mm. so you don't have an advantage going into the game. So like the Phoenix Elves, this last game, I think one or this last week won like 75% of the matches. Like it's just a very gotcha. bad matchup for the Vanguards. But gotcha. if you just happen to draw the Vanguards, it's okay because you're playing the exact mirror of the match as, as right. well. 
And, right. so, and if you can pick up a win there, then like, that's awesome, <laughs> right? Because yes. nobody else is doing that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I've, I've been doing that. And so that way I can like put my blinders on. I can learn two factions and oh, that's yeah. all I have to do. And I can learn two factions a week. And it's, it's really been helping me kind of learn that. I, I love the game. I love this game. I, I absolutely, it's a four cheers for me. 100 <laughs> percent <laughs> but its detriment is that if you do not understand your deck then you're going to lose the other thing mm-hmm. is if you do not understand your opponent's deck you will lose so mm-hmm. you have to understand what your opponent's units do you have to understand their event cards you have to understand what their tricks are up their sleeves or else you're just going to lose that game yeah because they'll, they'll surprise you they'll ambush you and you'll just die and so it's like, okay, so you, you kind of have to know both factions. I've been playing online. Currently right now, it's the online version. There's not like an iOS or an Android app. It is a web-based mm-hmm. app. It works really well on a mobile device. So I have no complaints there. That's I, think, I think you can sign up for $2 a month. It's a subscription-based service, but you get everything so like you don't have to mm-hmm. buy extra packs when they come out or or anything yeah. like that I, w- I was fortunate enough to pre-order it so i paid the two dollars for 12 months and so i was yeah. like well if i never play this i'm still okay with that <laughs> yeah it's so, two dollars it'll be fine <laughs> but yeah so while i am paying or or people can sign up and pay like the two three dollars a month to play summon a wars which gets you access to all the unlocked factions everything it actually is giving you access to some of the factions before they are released in the physical form so which is pretty cool but um if you wanted to try it out you can always go to the website and i think there's a rotating two free packs a month and they rotate so you can try out different packs you can try the game without paying any money and so you can you know kind of try before you buy so if it sounds interesting to you go ahead and go to the plat hat uh website they have kind of links to get you there and you can go play the free factions of the month and, and try it out so which is pretty cool I'm, I'm really happy that they're doing that and this is a game that i will probably never pick up the physical copy of i just mm. I, I i don't have a person in my life that i can sit down and play this game with yeah and so i'm really excited that the online scene is there and it's mm-hmm. thriving right there's a full discord for it where you know setting up you, you can just throw a game out there and say, I want to play a game. I want to play this faction and the game will be picked up within a half hour. That's and, awesome. And you'll yeah. be playing. So I, I mean, I, I've just been really excited about that. That's kind of what I've been playing a lot of. And so, yeah, Summoner Wars 2.0, highly recommend. If you are playing, I would love to play, play against you. Um, I yeah. am not very good. <laughs> so, so you may be able to pick up some easy wins. So, um, but yeah, Summoner Wars, um, uh, That's yeah, great to hear. I, I know that there was some concern or hesitance around, hey, they're just doing a web-based app. You know, we talked about this in our in our virtual gaming episode um, that we had some concerns there about whether that was really going to be successful and whether that was going to work. And so I'm glad to hear that, you know, that so far it is and that it does have a thriving community. And because that, you, you know, obviously you really need that to make that type of yeah. uh, venue work. Um, but clearly there's a following for the game and people who are really interested in it. So, um, and, and yeah, organizing tournaments and stuff like that, like, you know, that's, that's really smart and shows that Plaid Hat is, you know, committed to it and wants to like put work into it and they're willing to support it. And so all that's really, really encouraging. One quick clarification, all of the tournaments that I have been in have been community driven, but Plaid Hat did just announce their first online Plaid Hat sponsored tournament. And mm. so we're going through seasons. So I think this is season four of Summoner Wars tournament. We're taking a 
or actually, I think it's season three. We're taking okay. a season four off so that we can play in the Plaid Hat tournament. Oh, so, cool. So it, it is cool to see exactly that, uh, that Plaid Hat is supporting the online implementation. For sure. For sure. Yeah. That's really exciting. That, I mean, that's kind of what I have been focused on. I mean, outside of like Marvel Champions, I'm still doing streams of that. I, I plan on start starting yeah. to stream some Lord of the Rings here soon, which will be fun. I'm going to play through Ooh. just all of them. So, uh, so be looking out for that, but that hasn't started yet, but that's kind of what I've been focusing on this month. But do you have anything else, uh, for your table? I have a couple of other things, but I think I'd like to save them for some fireside, uh, content at this point. Sounds like a plan. So So let's move into the main topic of the night, economic games. So Dalton, do you want to start us out with kind of a, what your definition of what an economic game is? You know, I really, I really had trouble kind of putting a boundary on this. There were like three things that there were kind of like sub mechanics or something you might call it that helped kind of define it for me um because like you can't just say it's a game that involves money right like basically every, like <laughs> right. every engine builder is going to involve money in some way and lots of games do one of the th- one of the first three mechanisms that came to mind was markets right so if there is a buy and sell um supply and demand type yeah. mechanism going on then that's a really defining feature that that would be an economic game the second one was uh a feeling of like investment. And so if we both have kind of like partial interest or stake in something succeeding, then like that might be an economic game. And the third one, uh, and this may even just be like a subtype of investment, um, but stock holding and selling, um, which is kind of combining the two a little bit. But I would say anything that like you are able to buy and sell stocks, and yes, you are absolutely in an economic game. That's almost exactly kind of how I was feeling trying to fumble my way through a definition of what an economic game was. Mm-hmm. It, it it feels so nebulous almost like I'm, I'm kind of thinking mm-hmm. about it. It's like, yeah, I guess like I could I could make an argument that that is an economic game. Like I can make an argument that Agricola is an economic game. I can make an argument that a lot of these things right. are economic games. And kind of what I settled on is that it's a, an economic game is um, a game that makes players interact with each other in uh, some form of supply and demand through resources, Mm -hmm. through income, and then you can transport those income or resources to victory points to win the game. So I think that it's kind of the working definition of an economic game that I have in my head is there, there's a way to obtain X and turn it into victory points. And you have to figure out your engine or your negotiation or your trading or there's a lot of sub mechanics, but taking X, which is typically a limited supply in some sense, and how to best convert that or most effectively convert that into victory points to win the game. That is helpful to think about. Another, just as you were talking, I was reminded of um, uh, your cousin EJ at one of our um, like gen mini gen cons that, that that you host at your at your house he mentioned games that are player driven versus like uh, yeah like yeah, yeah, yeah driven right um and that i think that is it was really insightful and something that's really stuck with me and it's and it is a really defining feature of economic games right where the value of things in the game is set by the players not necessarily set by like the mechanics of the game and i would expand on that just a little bit to say that the value mm-hmm. of the resources in the game fluctuates 
uh, based on the mm-hmm. current game state. Absolutely. And so a lot of that is player driven. And I think some play some some games do it more so than others. Like in 18xx, the value of the company is very much driven by the players, how they have laid their routes, what stocks are being held. Yep. But then you you can transition into some games like Smartphone Inc., which is which is another economic game. But mm. it's yep. the I think that the the, the value of the phones that you're selling is player driven, but it's more of a mechanic on turn order manipulation. So if you sell lower, you get mm-hmm. to go sooner. And so it's not setting the price like I, I'm not selling to the market and therefore lowering the price for you. But I mm-hmm. think that, that there is a little bit of that. There, the, the value of your resources are going to fluctuate based on the current game state. And I love it when economic mm-hmm. games are heavily driven by players setting those values for sure because it can be really rewarding to play through you know i'm thinking of like very market driven games like uh the brass games brass birmingham brass um lancashire or uh or power grid right where there are you can build like a real engine around like a certain type of resource and it can be very tempting to like kind of like stay within that engine Um, but then based on what the other players do it can force you to start to like require some flexibility and some change to your strategy and that kind of like fluidity is what makes economic games really fun right and they make them like really challenging like you're not gonna be able to it's not like terraforming mars or some of these things where it's like i I get a card it's like this is a good card it is right objectively it is you know always a good card like i I know that and so i can just like evaluate my gameplay based on that like economic games don't work that way right strategies will be extremely dictated um, in value based on what the other players are like currently doing and how much they can mess up your own <laughs> right, strategy. Which, which just leads to an immense amount of replayability in my my opinion because yeah. every single game or every single, I, I don't necessarily know if I want to use this adjective, but I'm going to do it anyways. Every single good economic game feels completely different every mm-hmm. single time you play it because all of that is changing. And that's one of the things that I wanted to highlight tonight is that I feel like economic games have one of the best balances between strategy and tactics where you need this overarching strategy, mm. but you need to be able to flex and play the markets, play the players, play the board state in order to capitalize on the resources that are most valuable at that given time. But you you mm. can't deviate too far from your strategy or else you're going to just kind of blow up. And so I think of this in like a yeah. food chain magnet does this amazingly well where you have like this overarching strategy of, okay, I'm going to go trainer guru, start training up, getting all these like high level people so that I can mm-hmm. then flex into anything that I need to do. Um, and I can flex very quickly. So I need to, someone just flooded the market with demand for pizza and in two turns I can supply 12 pizzas and so i think that Mm -hmm. that is almost like the epitome of a of such a great example of flexing your strategy to fit the tactics in the situation that's presented yeah for sure um something that came to mind as you were talking there i think in in order to make a really good economic game uh, maybe not a requirement but something that i think it really helps to have hidden information um, I yeah. think hidden information becomes very important in economic games, almost like insider trading. Yeah. Right? Like yeah, yeah. You almost like want to build in insider trading because otherwise like it can, like there's always the unpredictability of like the other players. Like they're always going to do things that you may not expect, but kind of like informing and 
uh, giving advantage to players like to make certain decisions. Like I think of Stockpile, like literally yeah. has insider information yeah. or insider trading yeah, yeah. or something. Um, which Stockpile is a very simple game. Like you're basically just like it's 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 basically only a mechanic around stock holding. That's like the point of the game. Um, and so to make it interesting, they give players like insider information around like, oh, hey, this stock price is going to move up at the end of the round or move down at the end of the round or whatever. You know that nobody else does. But it leads to really interesting situations where, um, you know, Nelson like sells some stock and I'm like, why is he selling that stock? That stock looks like he's doing <laughs> right? well. Does he have some yeah. information that I don't have? Right. And so then I act on that. Um, and Nelson may have been bluffing, <laughs> right? He may, um, you can do like with a lot of stock holding games, you can do that type of like play and it can lead to like, why is that person offloading that resource or that, you know, that stock or that whatever. I'll give you a hint. If, if I'm ever offloading stock or doing something that is like not something that you would expect, it probably means I have no idea what I'm doing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's your insider trading information right there. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll make a note of that. <laughs> but just like adding that little bit of hidden information, we talked about food chain magnet. It does the same thing, not with informing it players, but with having who is deploying what workers in a given round, having that information hidden, right? Adds all of this extra layer of like complex complexity in decision making that is really rewarding i think for the players yeah totally one of one of the other things that i wanted to bring up as something that i really enjoy about economic games and this is not necessarily a need to have in order to be an economic game but i i like the economic games where the end of the game is driven by the players not necessarily driven by Mm we're going to play through eight rounds of this game and whoever has the most money at the end of the game wins. So food chain magnate, 18 XX. Oh, I had another example. Um, power grid is like this where you're, you're playing Uh to an objective and you can easily change that, or you can even manipulate the end of the game. So it's like, okay, I think if I can, if, if the game goes longer, I can win. But if the game ends right now, Dalton's going to win. So how can I manipulate the game so that, I can extend the game long enough so that I can overtake that lead. And I just think that that is such a fun and interesting decision space to kind of play in and understand, like, you can't completely tank tank your own chances of winning in order to, <laughs> uh, you know, elongate the game. But, I mean, we had to play a food chain magnate with Mike where everyone just got so cutthroat and we started just, like, breaking even on almost every single round yeah. <laughs> and like food chain magnate ends when you uh, run out of money in the bank twice. But what was happening is that we just weren't ever, our, our bank was just like net zero. Like it, <laughs> the game was not progressing. Right. <laughs> and so it, it kind of led to, okay, how can we change our strategies so that maybe we're not, we're not getting money off of the price of our goods we're we're getting money from waitresses right. and we you have to flex into that i think uh my wife i think we weren't able to finish that game because we were realizing that it was going to be a 12 hour long game but i think my wife flexed right. really well at that point and was able to like if the game continued she probably would have taken that lead and so definitely yeah. I, I i just i love that and not saying that i don't enjoy games that end after eight rounds like a age of steam or something like that it's just I, I enjoy mm-hmm. that as a mechanic where the the end of the game it can fluctuate. I think it has a really smart and special place in economic games because they're not like engine builders where it's like, okay, at some point, like this guy has the best engine, like he's, he's going to be the one that wins, right? And, and the end of the game in engine builders can be like really 
the fact that it is predictable can be really important because you have to make like certain decisions based on how many how much time you think is left in the game and so adding in that little bit of like fluidity of like, okay, can I, is, are there ways for me, um, like an 18 Chessy, there, are there ways for me to dump money back into the bank, right? Um, so that the game like continues to, to extend right. or whatever um, by like buying up extra stock and like transferring my personal money into the bank to, to keep the game going and, and, and things like that. And it, it can make, um, it can sort of even make and break the, uh, like the runaway leader um, situation where, okay, like in an engine builder, if, if the, leader has the best engine and he's able to extend the game then it's just going to he's just going to blow everybody out of the water that's not quite what we're talking about because these games are so fluid um if there is a way for the players to manipulate the end of the game then i i agree that can be a a way for them to kind of try and make the comeback happen and that can be really fun i i agree with you there and i think some games do it better than others right i i think that there are some economic games Mm -hmm. that feel bad because even if you can't extend the game, you're just extending your suffering. And I think a lot of the, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of the economic games, one of, one of the good things about economic games is that information it can be so open. Like there is hidden information, and that's kind of what you need to make the game work. But I, I enjoy mm-hmm. economic games where a lot of the information is open. But the the double edged sword of of having all the open information is like you can realize that you've lost and you have to play for another hour. And I think <laughs> I think eighteen yeah. XX can fall into this. Some of them more than others, from what I've heard. It can, yeah. I, food chain magnate is very much like this. Like you can you you can lose food chain magnate on your first turn, and that's not fun for anybody. But then there are games like Power Grid, where I think that this handles it significantly better than those. In the sense of like whoever is in last place, quote unquote, last place, whoever is powering the least amount of power plants gets to act first. And so they get the best prices. They get um, your oil, your coal, your trash, your nuclear or and you get first dibs on some power plants that are coming up. And so like Power Grid, I think, is just an excellent implementation of kind of this where there's so much open information. Like, actually, I don't even know if there is hidden information in Power Grid. I think it's all on the table, but it never yeah. feels like there's a runaway leader with Power Grid. So we we haven't done one of these types of episodes in a while, but from my memory, which is questionable at best, <laughs> is that we tend to like to talk about a lot of the other things that pop up in economic games during our recommendations. So I would suggest that we move into our recommendations and then we can discuss a little bit more of the individual mechanics and everything that we see in some of the recommendations. What are your thoughts? Yeah, for sure. I think that That would have been really awkward. Um, (laughs) If you had said no. So we do our recommendations where we give a low, medium, high complexity recommendation for economic games. So it kind of we're we're hoping to be able to recommend something to any type of listener out there and and mm-hmm. see if you can find something that you like. That being said, one person gets to go first on two of these categories. So Dalton, would you like to go first or do you want me to That's take right. first? I guess I can go first. Let's do it. So my, uh, we've already kind of brought up stockpile. That would be my recommendation for a low complexity economic game. It's basically just getting your feet, you know, wet. It's just getting you in the door with here's how a stock holding type game works. And you're just playing that again. It has that little bit of insider information that makes it, uh, I think 
like interesting. I think if you like stripped that mechanic out of the game, it would be. Oh boring. yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not. I think it has like a two point something, two point one or two or something on Board Game Geek in terms of complexity rating. It's a very simple game to buy buy into. Um, I think it played in like an hour or so for us. Yeah, maybe an I hour mean and it's. Um, it's been a long time since I played the game. <laughs> yeah, I I actually so I always write down two recommendations for each one of these just in case you do what you just did and take my first recommendation which was stockpile (laughs) and so i stockpile is a game that means i chose right by going first (laughs) because i did okay yeah no so i'm glad i'm glad you did that (laughs) but stockpile is a game that it's not my favorite game in the world it's not a game that i'm going to recommend to win all of the awards possible it's not going to be decorated like seven wonders is however stockpile right. scratches the itch of an economic game in an hour where i don't have to think a lot and i think that's one of the other detriments yeah. of an economic game is that my head usually hurts afterwards because it's so much brain power yeah. so much going into it which sometimes is exactly what i want and sometimes after mm-hmm. a long day it's not stockpile adds a little bit of randomness a little bit of fun and a little right. bit of just like lightheartedness to an economic game. And, yeah. you know, it, it adds in like bluffing so you can bid on these piles, these stockpiles, and you can bluff and try yeah. and get people to way overpay because they because mm-hmm. they think that you know something, but you don't really know. And so it kind of, you're very right. much playing the player in this game. It does not oversay its welcome. It, I feel like it always ends right when it should end. And the other thing that I really like about Stockpile is that it doesn't feel like I know who's going to win at the end of the game. It, it feels very yeah. much like, oh, yeah. let's count it up. And um, something that my brother does, which I think is really great, is they're like, okay, everyone put up your thumb. Put down your thumb if you have, or like keep your thumb up if you have over 400 points. And then over 450, oh, yeah, over 500. And so you kind of get to see that progression. In Stockpile, you can really do that because kind of the scores are, I don't know. Let's see. Like, yeah. So, yeah. so I, I mean, I 100% agree with your Stockpile pit. Yeah, I think um, a lot of the economic games, and this is I think the last thing I'll say about it, that we talk about are games that um, are like an economic game plus something else. Right. Yes. It's like an economic game plus like an engine builder around trains. Right. Choo choo. You tease eighteen XX as an example. It's it's that plus you know uh, food delivery in in food chain magnet. So you're trying to throw in marketing. You're trying to throw in production and make the sale. You're trying to connect all these things. Right. Stockpile is literally just playing the <laughs> stock market. That's right. all that's happening. Do you think the stock's going up or down? That's that's what yep. you, you can buy into it or yeah. not. So it's really it's really fun Good. for that reason. So run me through your mech ratings for this. So. Oh, so actually, this is the only one on the list that I don't have a mech rating for because the first time I played it was like four or five <laughs> years ago and it was before we came up with the mech rating. And it's been too yeah. long. I was like, I, I really don't think I could do an honest okay, mech rating that's fair. for it. Um, yeah, I know that you have one at least. Do you want to share yours? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll run it through real quick. So mechanics, I have at a six. Experience, I have at a seven. Components, I have at a six bringing the overall to a 6.5, which is kind of exactly lining up with what we just said. It's a good game. Um, And so kind of like sidebar, right? I've been posting some games on Instagram that fall into this six to seven range. And Uh like it, it kind of goes to show how much kind of the board game geek ratings have kind of skewed people to assume if it's not over an eight, it's not a good game. And we have kind of reset our scale so that if it's over a five, it is a good game. 
Five is average. I would play it happily on any <laughs> exactly. game night, right? If someone gets it on a table and they're like, I want to play Stockpile, it's like, dude, I'll yeah, play Stockpile with you. Exactly. And <laughs> Right. It feels like we, we say that a lot with these like rating episodes, but it's <laughs> it's because like we're really trying to push this of like, please rate responsibly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, I was taking a drink at it's that. An hurt. average game rate is average. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, made, I did like right as I said that Nelson had like his whiskey to going down, like had to My cough it back up. All right. Yeah, I think it came out your it nose did. a little it, bit. It doesn't feel great. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, so let, let's transition into Milo Complexity game, which is yeah. I'm actually th- this was this is the most controversial game on my list. I do, I I am ready to stand and fight that this is an economic game, but and <laughs> now I just see you pondering. So, but I. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what but, it could be. I'm like modern art. That would be yes, complex. It is modern, modern art. art. So nice call. Yes, is it, it is really? modern art. Nice. So modern art is 98. This is totally an economic game. Okay, I'm 100 cool. with yeah, you. Okay. Well done. Okay. You want to move on to medium then? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't talked about modern art in a long yeah. time though. Give us. Let's talk about it because this is a yeah, really. So good modern game. art is a bidding game designed by Reiner Knizia who. I, I, I don't know if we've said it on the podcast before, but Reiner Knizia, I, I know we've said, you know, he's designed over 600 games, but, you know, he has mm-hmm. a PhD in mathematics. So his games are just like very tight. Like he, he picks a mechanic, he mm-hmm. runs with it and it's good. And that's all you need to know. You're playing a Knizia. It's going to shine in one mechanic and modern art shines in yep. the auction mechanic. In modern art, players are playing the role of kind of a art gallery, and they are auctioning and buying different works of art from different artists from other players. So on your turn, you will pick a card from your hand, and you're going to auction it off. And there are different types of auctions that just kind of add variety to the game. And players are going to be trying to buy and sell different types of art to pump up value of certain artists' work and drive down the value of other artists work and so the game's played mm-hmm. out over a number of rounds and based on how your artist does in each round basically there's a historical adder for how much your artwork will sell this game it is very much <laughs> it, it it feels <laughs> like there, there's so little to it right like all you're doing is buying and selling art, but the economy in the game yeah. is so interesting. It's so complex because there's this, okay, I'm buying this art. And whenever you buy an art from a person, you pay them instead of the bank. Yeah. And so it's a swing and money is victory points that, I mean, it's, it's boiled down to that simple of a concept. So mm-hmm. if I give you a hundred dollars, which is an absurd price for a piece of art, but if I give you a hundred dollars for art, I am minus $100, you are plus $100 in victory points. And so all of that kind of comes in. You have to try and understand who is in the lead because your money is hidden. So it kind of goes into what you were saying. Like it has this hidden element. Mm -hmm. And so you don't necessarily know who's in the lead, but you can speculate who is in the lead. And like it comes into decisions of, oh, I think Dalton's in the lead. So I don't want to buy art from Dalton. But, oh, shoot, he just right. put out this artist. Oh, shoot, I really need one of those. I, right. I don't want to give him more than $45 for that piece of art. It's like, oh, shoot, the person mm-hmm. to my right just bid 60 I was like, well, is it better for me to buy the art to give Dalton more money, or can I let the other person take the art? And so it, 
it's just like for how simple right. of a rule set it is the the decision space is just so complex so interesting and it, it's just a great game to have a conversation around it's very lighthearted. i think mm-hmm. of it in more of the party game realm where it's not like a party game mm-hmm. but it's a party game for gamers yeah right we kind of used that term before yeah and it just kind of works yeah it has hidden information in that um, everyone is dealt like a hand of art from the artists and on your turn you like offer a piece of art to be sold the hidden information is that um, art becomes more valuable the more people that sell it right and so you know looking at your hand how much art you have from a certain artist, right? So you know if it comes back around to you, am I going to be able to force this one to sell really well because I can just put three out in a row or something like that? Um, there's also There are also some cards that like twist the game a little bit where they allow you to sell like two pieces of art yeah. at one time from a single artist that can really <laughs> mess with, you know, what everybody thinks is going to be selling right. this round and who's going to make the most money for what. And, um, and so that little bit of like hidden information around like what art is even in play to sell right now. I have like maybe if I'm, a four-player game i have maybe 25 percent of that information but it's just enough for me to act on yeah it, right yeah totally <laughs> yeah and the last thing that i want to talk about before i go into my mech ratings just to bounce off of that because there was a situation where i played with one of my cousins nathan who this is his favorite game of all time so um and we played i think it was a four-player game it was three players from my what i would call game group and then nathan and we we have all played multiple times of modern art, but Nathan struggled so hard with this game because the meta that we had developed between our game group was completely <laughs> different than the meta he had developed. And so he yep. was expecting the game to end way sooner than what we were. And so we extended the game. We were, mm-hmm. you know, it's great to get first place, but we were, you know, jockeying for that third place victory. And where he was expecting mm-hmm. the game to end in like two rounds. And, you know, maybe we went three whole rounds. And so that kind of just completely threw him off. Um, and just how I, I think the game is super interesting because it can be completely different based on the game group even. It, it, it's it's a great game. Um, highly recommend it. Alrighty, so I'm going to hop into my mech rating for this. So mechanics, I have it a 7. Experience, I have it an 8. I, I rated this when I was sober. I think if I rated it tipsy, that would probably be like an 8.59, depending on <laughs> depending on you know what time of night it is. And components, I had it a 7. Yeah. It's just a bunch of cards, Sweet. but like all the cards are beautiful because it is art. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then yeah. they have like the art book yeah. in the, in the box where you can flip through the other artists work and kind of gives a background on all of it, which is great. So that averages out with my weighting is to a 7.5. So excellent game. Highly yeah. recommend modern art. Okay. Sure. So snake draft, it's back to for me sure. for medium. Yeah. You get to go okay, again. Now, instead of actually like picking what my favorite is now i'm just going to try and figure out what i think your recommendation is so <laughs> gonna hate draft. yeah i'm gonna hate draft the recommendation <laughs> no i i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna not do that i'm gonna actually pick a game you have not played which is smartphone inc and so we we've mm. talked about smartphone inc on the podcast before i actually looked it up it has not been a recommendation before so so that is good but smartphone inc is a is a game where you are selling smartphones around the world competing against the other players to try and drive price down develop technology to try and service different markets and so the board is actually i mean it's a gorgeous game like i i think of economic games historically like you think of like power grid food chain magnate 18xx are pretty low on the Mm -hmm. components side 
Um, yeah. Whereas this one is actually like just, I mean, the board is dual layer. It's amazing art. The colors just pop. Like it, it is a game where if I walked by, I would be like, that looks interesting. What is that? And so I think that's a cool revolution in the economic game space. And so I'm I'm really enjoying that with, with the newer games that are coming out. But Smartphone Inc., it's a relatively simple game. I think that this is probably on the lighter end of the medium recommendation scale. When you're explaining it, it feels like, oh, this is going to be a heavy game. It is not. The rule sets are very simple. It walks you through exactly like... Okay, now you just pick one of these three things. Now you just develop technology. Mm-hmm. Now you sell. Now you do that. And it's like, it seems like a lot of steps, but it's very just simple to play. It's one of the games that's more easy to play than it is to explain. Mm-hmm. One of the coolest things about Smartphone Inc. is the action selection. So you get like these two tablets which have different, if you think of it as a grid, it's like a two by three grid and they're double sided. So um, each mm-hmm. tablet has 12 different spots for icons on it. And what you have to do okay. is you have to overlap the two icons to cover one to four spaces. And whatever icons are showing are the actions that you get to take that round. So it's got this like little, little oh, spatial yeah. puzzle to it. Um, and then, yeah, kind of yeah and then however many, however many spaces you're covering is how many goods you produce. So you're taking less actions, but you're producing more. And so gotcha. like there is a benefit to not just cover one, one, yeah. one, one tile. Yeah. And especially in an economic game, I think that makes a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. And so... That's very fitting. Yep. So you, you have a starting country and you're kind of expanding your network and you're trying to sell. So you can... It's a, it's a pretty short game too. So I think in like a four to five player game, you're going to get this in and under an hour and a half. I mean, it's it's quick. It's it's pretty simple, which oh, is nice. excellent. Yeah. And you can definitely change your strategy. So uh, there are two types of customers in the game. There are price-sensitive customers. So they're not going to buy a phone if it is more than X price. And then there mm-hmm. are technology-sensitive customers. We're not going to buy the phone unless it has a 5G technology. I don't care about the price. It can gotcha. be $5 million. I'm going to buy it. And it, it kind of allows players to flex and play to each other's weaknesses. So... Whoever has the mm-hmm. lowest price sells first. So it's kind of this, I'm going to sell to everyone and try and just flood the market with phones and take away all of your customers. Yeah. Because once a customer has a phone, they're not going to buy a second one. If you right. can produce enough, if you can have low enough price, then you can take all the other customers away from other players. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, I need to sell three phones. I'm going to make more money than you just because I have all this awesome tech. There, yeah. there are different yeah. strategies that are 100% dictated by the other players and you have to flex and be be cognizant of what they are playing so that you can make sure that your strategy is different enough so that you can make money. So I... Yeah, I, yeah that's really fun. I think it sounds like a game that was designed to be an economic game by people who like economic games, right? Like yes. they're trying to kind of pack in all of the right types of mechanics to make it fun. Yeah. So the, <laughs> the the one kind of downside to this game, which is not the game's fault, it is my fault, is that I have never played this game with more than three players. Um, I really mm-hmm. want to. I think that this game would shine with four or five players. Okay. There, the like the expansion to the game, which came with the Kickstarter, 
has a two and three player map and okay. that map I think in my opinion makes the game significantly less interesting because it has I will buy if it is this price or this technology and so there's really no decision mm-hmm. in what you're gonna what strategy you're gonna pursue gotcha whereas the main map it has that and so I want to play this game with more than four players because it's it, and, and you'll probably see it reflected in my mech ratings. Like the way that I talk about the game, how excited I am about the game, it's not reflected in my ratings because I've never been able to play. I've never <laughs> been able to play like what I feel like is a full game of smartphone ink. And so this is gotcha. this is one that I need to put on like the the monthly game night. Like this would be a perfect one. Yeah, I just <laughs> okay. <perfect. laughs> While you were talking, yeah, okay. I pulled up my phone so, and put it on. There. So that's great. Put it on the thing. Um, because it's it's. I mean. <laughs> I, I, I want to experience it. Everything about the game I love, but I just I, mm-hmm. I need to experience it at the higher player count. Do you want to go ahead and give us your mech ratings for it? Yeah, so my my mech recommendation for mechanics, I have it a 7. For experience, I have a 6.5, which is fluid. I promise you that is fluid. That, <laughs> it's looking I, to go that up. will go up with a, with a 4 or 5, five player game. Components, I have at an yeah. 8.5. It's just a beautiful game. To bring the total... Awesome. To a six point nine, nice. <laughs> so that it happens every episode. There's always at least one. That, I, that nine. is true, teacher. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Intentional yes. decision. So that's my medium recommendation. What's yours? Uh, for mine, Power Grid. Power Grid was my first entry into economic games. It was actually really. It was very early on in my board game experiences. Um, kind of like it. it so I remember it as being something that sort of like stretched me, right? It made me think about things differently. Um, it has always been a game on my list of like games I don't play enough of, you know, <laughs> like oh, I really yeah. do. I really like the game and just feel like I don't, I don't quite get it to the table as often as I would like. Some of that can be like, it's a little hard to predict like how long it's going to take, you know? And so it can be hard to be like, do we have time for power grid? And you might, it might only take like an hour and a half or it might take a lot longer. But I love the, uh, again, it was my first kind of introduction into like a market system of like, okay, if everybody is like using coal, for instance, even though it's expensive for me to like turn my uh, kind of system into a different energy source that might be like super worth my time because like coal is like so expensive right now. Or am I seeing like people, everyone's doing that where everyone's trying to like bail out of coal because everybody's <laughs> using it. Right. Um, can I be the one guy who just kind of holds on to it? Right now I get these like super cheap resources for super cheap and like that can run my power grid. And so some really fun decisions around that, some really fun bidding mechanisms, right? Where it just puts some things out to the players, lets them kind of like fight over these power plants, right? Of like how much um, is this actually worth to me right now based on like my current setup and based on, uh, where I think the game is going to be going and what resources are being used right now. Is it worth investing in this um, nuclear power plant um, for me or not? And all, or is it worth me outbidding this other guy on it? Um, so a lot of really interesting decisions around that. Um, kind of feels like a territory game, right? Kind of feels like a dudes on a map or an area control type game, even though it's like technically not. But like it can kind of end up feeling like you're fighting for space. Uh, but you're just, again, doing it through this like veil of an economic game. And so I just, it was very actually relatively like quote unquote old at this point yeah yeah where it's like for board games where it's like it's not old but like because we've been going through the renaissance like it there there's a ton of economic games that have come out after it and in fact basically every game that we've talked about tonight came out after this game yep um the the exception there would be yep Yep. (laughs) that's exactly what i was about to say Do you remember like original like release date of the original modern art? I feel like it's like the 70s. Okay, yeah, I was going to say I think it was like 77, but that sounds insane. So I'm just going to shut right. up and not say that. But 
while, while you talk, I'm gonna. <laughs> I think I think you're right. I'm gonna walk over like to my 70s. computer just so we have an answer. Okay. Yeah. 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 But anyways, I I think uh, because it's a bit of an older game, there are some there are some elements around uh, like components that like definitely could be improved. It kind of just has like a basic um, components set. It's not a real pretty game. I think it struggles to be explained to new players sometimes. Like it doesn't always sound super enticing as a game to play yeah. um, because you're like, oh, you're like powering a grid and people are like, well, really? Like that, you know, that doesn't sound very fun at all. And you kind of have to like explain to them why it's going to be fun. And so that can be a little hard to sell. Um, but once you get into it mechanically, I think it's extremely sound. Um, makes for a really fun experience for kind of that, again, medium complexity um, economic game. And then lastly, it has a lot of nostalgia for me as being a, as being a game <laughs> right. that was early on in my kind of growth. Yeah. So, Do you have an answer yes, for I us? Yes, I do. So it's not as old as we thought. It was 1992 when Modern Art was published, but that is still 12 years before Power Grid was published, which is 2004. Yeah, but like 20 years <laughs> later than when I yeah, thought it was Older published. than we are. <laughs> yeah. It's still older than we are, yeah. So that's so, that's so good. there's that. that going for us. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Was Reiner Kanitsa even making games in the seventies? We should have probably. Like, he's not that old. I mean, yeah, <laughs> dude, dude looks fly though. I don't know. He has this like sick bow tie, and all the interviews that I've he seen, has he's, his yeah, bow ties, he's awesome. Yeah, yeah but like seventy four was like <laughs> forty seven years ago yeah. or something. Like I don't think he's that, that, okay. That's fair. Years. I I love your recommendation here for Power Grid mainly. Like I love it so much that it was my other recommendation for medium complexity. So I feel like we are nice. like right on the same wavelength during this episode. Yep. So if you had wanted to hate draft it, you I could, I could have, and I just, I just, didn't. <laughs> I was being nice. So remember that. Uh, Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. <laughs> but I mean, everything that you said, I just want to echo. The one thing that I would want to add is that I wish that we played this more because Power Grid has so many expansions in the form of maps. Mm. And the maps yep. are just different layouts of the board state, but it also kind of changes the the initial starting prices of some of the resources based on mm. based on those maps. So it it can really just change the game state. But we don't play Power Grid enough. I mean, like we play it once every four years, so right. it's like not right. worth investing right. in the twenty five extra maps there are. But yeah, I would like to be in a time in my life where i was playing power grid enough to be able to invest in those and so it right, just like right. yeah i i don't have much more to add than what you've already said so do you want to run through your mech ratings mm -hmm. sure yeah I, I think just to speak to that it makes a good virtual game option for that reason right, right? that we can pull up some of those extra maps right. and, and yeah. give them a try um, but yeah so power grid uh, mechanics i have in an 8.5 again i think that's where it really shines in that it's like doing something that at the time was like a little bit unexplored maybe not totally novel right. but like yeah, a little yeah. bit unexplored and it just it's executed extremely well um experience i have it a 6.5 and the uh, components i have it a five for an overall rating of 6.8 um and i think experience is another one kind of like we talked about with smartphone inc that if i was like i think there is a lot of replayability in it it just feels like every time i play it i'm having to like kind of relearn it and every time i play a game the first time the experience is always lower right because i'm like having this experience yeah. of learning a game is not necessarily fun. Um, and so that's kind of pulling it down a little bit. But overall, like I said, a game that I that I really enjoy and want to be playing more of. Totally agree. Already so. Snake Draft. Speaking of games that I want to be playing more of. Okay. Well, I'm ready for <laughs> I'm ready to hear it. Uh, ever since I played Imperial at, <laughs> oh, okay, the, yeah. at the Gen Con, I have not been able to play it again. But this game is magnificent. And <laughs> I am... So excited to, to get a group together to play again. I think it's going to be the next game, at least that personally I try to organize as like a one-off game through the um, through the Discord, which again, anybody can do, but um, just like the one that I'm kind of like looking to next. It's like, I really want to try this because um, I think we have some people who would really enjoy it. Um, but Imperial, if you don't remember the, the 
the twist on it is that it is an economic game. The kind of engine that you're fighting over is the uh, the state of country of the major countries involved in World War One, and so your economy that you're buying into is you're basically buying stock or you're basically buying bonds into countries, um, and your money when you pay them it goes into that country's bank because that's what a bond is, and then that country gets to use that money to like fund their war effort and so then like kind of like the majority bond owner gets to like operate the country um, which is a very familiar mechanic for a lot of economic games that kind of feeling of ownership um, imperial has that um, and then your kind of the board state what territories they own uh, that country owns um, plays into like its income and plays into its victory points and, and different things like that um, and so it's an interesting one it's like 18xx in that it it feels like in this case, it feels like a dude's on a map game where 18xx can yep. feel like an engine builder. And it's not. It is an economic game. You can get through this game and never operate a country and win, right? <laughs> That's you my goal. You have to own the right bonds. That's my goal, by the way. <laughs> it is really hard. Like it, the game, because it is, if I am doing well, I am, di- because it's a dude's on a map game, if I am doing well, I'm directly hurting another player from doing well. And so it's almost necessary to pick up those synergies, right? To be having two countries that are either bullying the same country that's your main competitor or like maybe they share a border so you can go the opposite directions and they don't hurt (laughs) each other. Now both countries are successful or like you have some sort of like soft alliance with another player where you are like really bought into each other's countries, right? So you like start to buy into his country. He starts to buy into yours that are next to each other. Now you kind of have this pact of like, we don't really want to hurt each other because both of our victories are tied into each other's countries doing well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of kind of like intrigue, a lot of um, really cerebral play that's having to, to go on and being smart about who you're buying into and when and when you're selling and, and stuff like that. And I don't know, for me, it's just, it checks all the boxes. <laughs> it's like, these are two of my top categories for, right. for mechanics for games. Um, and I think this one just really ties them together well. Yeah. So Imperial is like the economic games akin to a dudes on a map, which is more in your realm. Mm-hmm. Whereas an 18xx feels more like an engine builder, which feels more like what I would be enjoying. Sure. But it, I feel like it is almost the same core game, just like with, you know, engine building or dudes on a map. And Imperial yes. does it so well. And one of the things that I really like about Imperial, more so than I like about uh, like an 18 I, let me caveat 18 Chesapeake. I, there are a hundred 18 XX games, so I don't want to speak to all of them, but Imperial, it feels like it's a lot easier to take over a country because all your, Mm. um, all your bonds are increasing in value and whoever holds the most gets to operate that country. Mm -hmm. And so with 18 XX, your bonds are 10% of the company. So you have to own the majority of the bond or the majority of the stocks to operate the train mm-hmm. whereas an imperial um it may be a lot easier to just make one bond purchase and take ownership of the company so i feel like it's a lot more fluctuating right. in who is operating what which makes the board state Agreed, i think yeah. a lot more interesting but yeah no yeah. i i'm with you i think that imperial is a game i would like to play more of i'm i'm more in the boat of i would i i like 18xx games i think i'd i would prefer that over yep. an imperial but it it's also just they almost scratched that same itch. And so I would not turn down a game of Imperial. So, and and I know we played Imperial. There's an Imperial 2030, which is kind of like the revised edition. And so if we're going to do something on a game night, let's see if we can try that one, because I think it's kind of Mm. smoothed out some of those clunky rules that we were encountering in Imperial. Yeah. There were a couple of things that tripped us up. And I know a couple of things that screwed up this, like 
the decision making that we couldn't undo. Like there were some things that's like, oh wait, I'm not allowed to do right. that. But I already this person already did it on a previous. You know, so there was some um, some rules things that yeah, it absolutely could be um, smoothed out. I did really like. I haven't looked at 2030 at all. Um, I really hope that they kept, if not the actual mechanic, something similar. But I really like that sly little rondell mechanic. That's oh, it's so good. Yeah, that determines. Yeah, like your country can do like one of like a couple of things on its turn, like five different types of things that have to do with like moving units or making units or like whatever, um, collecting income, like stuff like that. But it can only it's on like a rondelle, um, and if you don't remember what that means, it's like sort of on a wheel, um, and it so it moves circularly through those like options, and it can only move like something I... like three steps ahead or something like that. And you have and then there's also something where it's like you can stretch that, but like the player has to pay their own money to make that happen or something. I don't quite remember how it works, um, but just a really nice way to make it so that there is a little bit of unknown information because you're kind of like, well, I know what that person could do, but I don't know what they will do because they have a couple of options. And then also tying back in like the player money into like making things happen. I mean, and again, money is your victory point. And so a player has to kind of spend that if to do something that's maybe a little bit uncomfortable, uh, but that right. they might feel is necessary. And so it was just a nice little twist um, that I thought was, was really well implemented. I hope that if it's not actually a rondelle, it's something that is limiting to the actions that the country can take. Um, because I thought that that like had a really good fit in the game. I thought that kind of like fixed, maybe not fixed a problem, but just like smoothed out some things and made, added a little bit of intrigue and interest to the game. 100%. Yeah. Um, it's very player driven, very play the player mm-hmm. or play the country. And it's, it's one of these For games, sure. which I really enjoy is akin to an 18 XX where like I'm attacking Russia, which is actually three different players at the table. It's not, I'm not attacking yeah. Dalton. And I think that actually helps my my like thought of a dudes on the map game which is one of my biggest aversions to that it's like i you know i used to like them a lot more but just like now where i am in my life i'm just like i'm very like meh i don't want to like attack you like that that doesn't seem super fun to me whereas this game i'm not attacking you i'm attacking everybody else sitting at the table and so that that's better like just for me to think about and so i i I enjoy that like the, the stakeholders of each country and it's always really fun when you're like kind of the third party where like, you know, your country is now attacking <laughs> right, yeah. uh, like your wife's country or something. But I have stake in like both countries, right? right? Yeah. So you are attacking me. But like if your country does well, like that's also yeah, kind of good for me. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, oh no, I don't know how to think yeah. about that. Like, I don't know how exactly, to feel about that. Yeah. Like, and like, so I may not even be super mad, right? I, I may not be out to like retaliate against you because in the, or I may, you know, maybe I don't have stock in like the company that you just attacked with, but maybe I don't have access to like hurt that company. So I'm like, well, can I hurt another one of his companies? And they're like, no, <laughs> I'm bought into all of his other companies. I can't hurt those right, companies, yeah. you know? So the decisions get super, super intricate and really fun to play right, with. So. Yeah. It's um, great. So I absolutely love it. Um, mech rating for me. So I have an eight with mechanics. I have a nine with experience. Um, and again, I've only played it once. I think it could it could go up from a nine. It's, it's a game that I, I'm really a big fan of. Um, components had a six. They're very average. And for an overall of eight point one. Awesome. That's a good. That's a good rating right there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. good for one of our for one of our mech ratings. It's pretty high up there. Alrighty. So for my high complexity economic game, I I was juggling a lot. Because I think that economic games tend to trend in higher complexity. And so, especially the ones that I enjoy. So, the majority of the games that I have to recommend are already in this category. And so, the way that I kind of broke this down and decided I was just going to go with the OG, and that is Monopoly. Monopoly is... (laughs) It is the... It had to come up. It had to come up. I mean, but... 
I mean, like, jokes aside, Monopoly is an economic game, right? Like, it, like you're buying and selling different. Qualify. Yeah, it does qualify. But, um, I mean, 10, 10, 10, so for a 10, so high as Macready. <laughs> but, um, but anyways, <laughs> but but that joke aside, I, I actually am juggling a lot. And I'm still, I'm yeah. not actually sure what my recommendation is until I say it. And so I'm just going to do it on the count of three, two, one. And that is brass. Okay, cool. I did it. I made, I made the okay. decision. <laughs> Good job. So were you kind of hoping that I was going to eliminate something nope. for you? Um, <laughs> I feel like I probably didn't. I, I, I actually, this is the first time where I've had four written down um, wow. uh, to choose from. And that was after eliminating like three of them. The brass system is a, a system designed by Martin Wallace, and it was revamped a couple of years ago into uh, two different variants, which is black brass Lancashire, which is the original brass, the OG brass, and then brass Birmingham. I have only played brass Birmingham, and that seems to be the, the people's choice. So brass is an economic game where you are kind of sharing resources on the map, where you're putting out coal, you're putting out oil, you're putting out beer, you're trying to sell different resources to different merchants. Mm-hmm. And it's a very spatial puzzle as well as a play-the-player puzzle, which I, I find very enjoyable. When you're playing in brass, you pay money and resources to place tiles onto the board in a specific uh, city in England and mm-hmm. there there's special rules um, and I guess that's one of the downsides to brass is that the rules can be very kind of tedious it's they're not like I, it's not like a very complex game it's a very complicated game for what it is mm-hmm. um, which but once you kind of wrap your head around that it's like okay what is your network what are you connected to what are all of these like key terms and once you kind of figure yeah. that out the game is phenomenal and so but you're right it can be like when learning it i remember it feeling a little ticky tacky and i remember feeling like i'm just trying to operate yeah like i'm just trying to like take a a legal term yes and it feels like every (laughs) single thing has its own rule which is very annoying to learn but it kind of it just makes a, a really interesting game if everybody does understand those rules so for sure in in brass you're kind of playing one of your i think it's six industry tiles onto the board um in in a legal placement and that can be kind of putting out there to sell at a later turn or it can be opening resources for anybody to take which in a lot of games that sounds kind of bad like i don't necessarily want you to take my resources but you score Mm -hmm. victory points and you increase in your income level if you've depleted resources on the industry tile that you have placed out there and so if i place a coal tile out there uh, and then Dalton uses the three coal on that tile. I get to flip that over. I'm going to score victory points and I also get more income. And so there have been games of brass where I have played where I've tried to hoard all of my resources. And there have been games of brass where I've played where I've tried to supply the market with what is needed. And I think mm-hmm. a winning strategy in brass is to find that balance. You need the yep. resources that. Um, for you to be successful and you would like to supply those resources, but you would also like to supply the resources to other people so that they can't, they can utilize you and give you victory points. And so finding that balance right. is just a, a, just really fun. It works well at all player counts, two to four. I think it works best at about a three player count, but it's not a game that I would not pull out at two, which is also something that's fairly rare for an economic game. Yeah, definitely. So, so Brass Birmingham, 
Um, I've heard amazing things about Lincolnshire as well. So um, I, I would group that in with this recommendation. I have not played it, but it's mm-hmm. very similar. But kind of the Brass series by Martin Wallace is is my high complexity rating or recommendation. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've really enjoyed um, learning it. I think it at first when you see it, it, it isn't necessarily obvious that it's a market because like markets feel like... Uh, there's like a stock of material and stuff is going to come in and out of them. But at the start of the game, it can sort of like the, the pool of resources is a little bit, it's not as easy to see maybe in brass because like you're placing them on the map. Like I'm going to build like a refinery or whatever and like place the resources there and they actually get consumed off of that tile. Right. Um, yeah. And so once you kind of get that flow down of like, Oh, I can like either add resources in um, or like remove them that then you start to feel the like push and pull of the supply and demand. And all of a sudden the game kind of like comes together for you. And you're like, Oh, this is really, this is really yeah. hard to be able to like try and predict, like, is someone going to try and make this move right now? You know, there is a little bit of hidden information. Like we've talked about, it's mostly about like how easy is it going to be for someone to play in a certain area. Right. Um, so you don't quite know that, but you might be able to see kind of what they're pursuing as a victory point strategy and what resources that might consume as a result. You'll also know that, just something like when it flips from like phase one to two or whatever, like the way there are like the coal resources and stuff, players are going to have to consume those in order to build roads. And so there's a little bit of predictability around that. But I think that's where it really like, like you said, it it can feel ticky tacky to start. But once you like get that flow down, the supply and demand aspect of that market is really fun to play in. Totally agree. Yep. So let me run through my mech ratings for it real quick. So mechanics, I have at a 9.5, and that is definitely a rating that I have given after I've learned the rules. But everything just kind of, (laughs) yeah, I mean. Rules is an experience thing if it's hard to learn. (laughs) And and that's fair. That's fair. But everything works together, which which is just great. Experience, I have at a 9. It's one of these games that every single time it hits the table, I am just... I'm almost in that flow state where I'm just, I'm enjoying this. Like time doesn't seem to pass. It's like, Oh, we just played this for three hours. I was like, it felt like 30 minutes, right? Like it just like, it just, Oh man, I'm just like there. I'm in the moment. And then, uh, components is an eight. Uh, I want to make the caveat that this is the brass Lancashire slash brass Birmingham and not the OG brass, which is more of a three components so (laughs) if you haven't seen it go look it up um i I think the gameplay is there is the components look like someone cut out cardboard so (laughs) so that brings the overall to a 9.1 for brass birmingham and that's one of your all like highest rated games yeah yeah brass is in my top five i believe it's my third highest ranked game yeah so I, i i was really excited that i got to talk about it i guess my honorable mentions that i was kind of deciding between was food chain magnate and gallerist so those are kind of the two yeah. that I was bouncing yeah, back sense. and forth. But I feel like we have talked more about the Gallerist and Fuji Magnate on the podcast than Brass. So yeah, there's only I'm just like I pulled up our mech sheet. There's only a handful of games that are that are beating yeah. it. Yeah. Spirit They're Island, Terraforming Mars, Oh Gloomhaven. So maybe it's like four, Gaia, Project. Gaia Project. Yeah. So maybe it's five ish. Yeah. yeah. I mean it's a it's a phenomenal game. Highly recommend it. Love to play it. We played it on a game night a couple of months ago. That was a lot of fun. We did, yeah. yeah we played it yeah, on Board Game Arena, table, and the, the rules were misprinted, and the board was misprinted, so it was very confusing. But other than that, that would make it, hard. <laughs> it, it, it <laughs> did make it hard. So, yeah, I think that's going to do it for our episode on economic games. It was great talking through kind of this genre of games, this nebulous genre of games that I think I have yeah. 
fallen in love with more recently in my board game career. And so it was fun Absolutely, walking yeah. through the recommendations and everything. So I want to hear about other economic games are there economic games out there well there are other economic games that we did not mention so i want to hear what your recommendations are um is there something that you think was blasphemous not to mention would you think that modern (laughs) art is not a economic game which i think you're wrong but anyways like let us know and i think the best place to do that is going to be on our discord where very communicative there we love the community that we have it also opens up game nights for everybody or our instagram so we'll post some stuff on instagram reach out to us love to hear from you anything else from you dalton before we end the night that is that is it for tonight it was great talking to you bud great talking to you as always so cheers buddy cheers